This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Monday, April 12th, this is Season 5, Episode 31 of the Four Stars First Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week, we have Lucas. Hello, hello. Uh, we have Joe. Hey, how's it going? Catherine. Hi. And returning to the podcast, we have Christian. You do. Well, um, I want to start the conversation because I, I think this is going to be another ranting and railing and... Uh, uh, throwing shit at the walls type episode, so uh, we might as well start and get right at the heart of it and go right to a question that we got uh, from it's Sam the Spur uh, dash Bottleham Hotspur, um, and he he asks, uh, should the club chagrin? I think he means change. Should the club change its name to Bottleham Hotspur? Uh, where's the glory gone? Um, so it's kind of a harsh place to start, but I'm going to make us jump right into it today. So uh, let's uh, let's start with all the hands going up in the air, and we'll go to uh, uh, Luke, Lucas first. Yeah, the for me, it's hard to even talk bottling anymore because I just the expectations are so low. I mean, I don't feel like we have much left to bottle. Um, being on top of the league at December and then all of a sudden here we sit. So I don't know. It just, it feels like every season's kind of coming down to the same point where we do seem to struggle around this time period, but we might as well change it to bottle ham. That sounds better. Uh, Joe. Yeah. I mean, 18 points, I think it is we've, we've surrendered from, um, you know, leading positions or positions where we've been drawing and then lost this season, which is the most in the league. And I think it's like beyond the point, kind of like Lucas is saying, of it even being like a psychological issue because you just expect it now. You just, you completely expect it. When we were 1-0 up, we'll obviously go into the game in due course. But when we were 1-0 up yesterday, I had absolutely no expectation we'd win that game. Um I was just thinking we were going to lose 2-1 or 3-1. That was the only, uh, you know, variable going. So, yeah. yeah I, and, Joe, I picked a, a draw officially on there, but when I got to the pub and started watching this match, I didn't think that we were going to get a win. I, I just uh, – I'm the, the best thing could ha- – Harry could have an amazing game, and I felt like we'd still find a way to lose this somehow. But, Christian? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that we've we've bottled it really. I think that we are cutting our nose off to spite our face. To be honest, I think that it's a strategy that has not worked. It's been proven not to work. Um, it's been proven with six games before the seventh one happened yesterday, and I think it's just uh, Mourinho saying no, we're going to play this way, and if the players don't get on, then we will lose. Or I don't, I don't even, and we can delve into that more, but I don't think the players are bottling it. I think they're playing to a strategy that doesn't work anymore and, and isn't quite um, up to par for, for where a team that we think we are, the caliber we think we are, is so at the end of the day, I don't think we should change the bottom hotspurs. I think we should 
change to Tottenham shit Spurs because it's just shit to be honest. It's <laughs> it's it's not it's not like like we're bottling it. It's it's there's there's a, a core fundamental uh, issue here with with how we are approaching the game when we have a lead and and it's fucked and that's it's really it's sad how we approach the game when we have a lead and that's really the biggest problem. I don't think it's just a give up. You know, it's it's a fundamental issue there. So that's my problem with it. Lucas, it looks like you want to respond. Uh, you're on mute, Lucas. I think one of the sad realities is that we might have to accept that a lot of these players just are not that good. Um, we kind of we all have a lot of expectations and we have a lot of high hopes with potential and stuff like that. But I think a lot of these players aren't as good as we want them to be, or as we believe that they could be, or they have flashes of brilliance for five minutes in a game or 10 minutes in a game. But I think there's just this, this group of guys lacks that killer instinct where, I mean, you shouldn't have Jose telling them they need to go forward and try and score. It's a football match. Like you should get the ball and want to go score. It should be something you learn when you're a three-year-old. Joe's daughter probably has that instinct already. Um, It's just, I don't know these players, there's something's off, but we're getting the same result every time. It looks like. Yeah, and I think that's and probably... it, it seems almost like. It, uh, sorry, I think I think that that definitely is coming across that the because there's dressing room issues, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's there's definitely some some unity loss there. That that is starting to come across. I didn't want to believe that or think it. You know, you know, maybe ten games ago, but you know, there's there's some problems here that are quite obvious because because it's a bottle again like bottling it or just giving up um implies that you know they're they're not all or they're all on the same page but our our you know unity is like now I'm let's all screw it i don't think that's the case i think there's a bunch of conflicting attitudes in the dressing room and that's a big fucking problem and that that's a problem where uh, a jose you know a Mourinho's supposed to be able to unite that so so i i agree with you lucas when you say like um, some of the players just aren't that good, but isn't a manager supposed to bring yeah. out the best in those not that good players? I mean, when you look at what people, look, I mean, look at Leicester. I mean, some of those players just aren't that good at, at when you look at top tier, but yet they're getting the absolute best because there's unity and there's good mm-hmm. coaching and there's good management and there's good strategy. So, so we have to look at, at a bit of a bigger picture here. Like that's that's where I see. Well, and I think you might be onto something there, Christian. And I think we look at like the early Pochettino, and I think he got players kind of punching above, above their pay grade at that point. Uh, he certainly lost them towards the end. But Jose never, really, Jose never really seemed to ever get them. Like he, he uh, uh, you know, he he went through a couple periods where he either put together a really good attack or an effective de- defense to grind out a result against a top tier team. Um, we went through that period when we were up in first place, and it looked like we had kind of assembled something that was working. Um, but that came apart at the seams really fast, and it was something just wasn't right there with the the locker room. So great conversation on the bottling. Uh, it's something we never want to talk about, uh, but I think it's probably a good place for us to roll into the the match that we uh, uh, that we have to talk about, which we probably equally don't want to talk about. But um, so th- this Sunday we took on Manchester United at home. Um, it was um, uh, a similar lineup to what we saw, other than Sanchez not being in, and we saw Dyer go into the lineup. Um, 
Toby was still on the bench. I think a lot of us were scratching our heads about that. Like, uh, why wouldn't we want to play our best center back in, in this pairing? Um, I think most of us were supportive of Rodon being there, Aria being back, um, which uh, we have to think that had to do with his about, amount of international minutes for the week prior that he wasn't available. Um, but um, it looked like we may have had something going in the first half, though, um, uh, though it did seem to uh, fall apart at times. We got, um, you know, we got, they had the goal called off, which I think was helpful to us. Uh, but what do you guys think on this one? Um, it looks like uh, Christian, you got your hand up first. Yeah, I mean, I think we ha- we did have something going in the first half. Like, Spurs have had a bunch this season. We've had a shit ton going in the first half. We've had energy. We've had pace. We've had break. We've had, um, you know, some some eagerness to be on the ball. I, I, text, my, I text my buddies uh, from England um, uh, at the first half. I said, if, if Spurs, if football was only one half, we Spurs would be champions, and if golf was only nine holes, I'd play on the PGA Tour. But mm-hmm. at the end of the fucking day, it's just it's terrible what what's what happens after this first half. We we come out hungry, we come out good, we come out strong. We we move the ball around, and we move. If you look at possession as well in the first half, it's it's night and day. I I don't know what the fuck happens in the locker room at halftime when we come come back out leading, and it just it's total deflation. So so I think. It looks like we had something. Yeah, we had we had Spurs first half in the first half. That's fucking amazing. But how many times have we seen it go to shit? FA Cup as well. I mean, it's it's really pathetic. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe. Yeah, I mean, I cannot agree more with everything you just said, Christian. I'm just going to kind of add to what you're saying. I, I, I've got it in front of me. We we're second. We're ranked second in the whole league for the. Scoring the first goals, the mo- the team that scored the f- most first goals and been ahead at half time even would be second, right in the whole league. Um, we are bottom of the league for the team that has failed to win after being ahead at half time. Like that's that we've that's happened to us the most or the bottom, whatever way you want to look at it, the worst, right? So, uh, without going too much into this, because I'm sure we'll come on to it. Kind of echoing what you were saying as well at the start, Christian. There's got to be a massive indictment on Mourinho because what's his job at half time? What's a manager's job? It's to galvanize the team, to motivate the team, to organize the team, to improve, not get worse. Like, now there's probably several facets to this be it tactical, be it motivational, a combination thereof, I'm suggesting, but we are. Clearly, statistics back it up that I just said we're much worse after that team talk, and that's got to be an indictment on the manage what the manager's saying to the team, right? Yeah, and I want to I want to jump on something that you just said as well, Joe, because it's all fucking spot on. When you look at those stats of us being second in scoring first and holding a lead and so forth, and then us being last at giving it over, I am almost 100% sure that Man U have come back from being down more than any other team in the league. So why the fuck would you go to sleep in the second half against a team that is so incredibly dangerous at coming back? I mean, like, if you're a betting man at halftime, you're like, I'm going to flood Man U right now, and you would have won again. Because it's just, 
how do they not see that? I mean, think of all the statisticians there. Just, you know, a part of the Spurs camp. They must be thinking, okay, the pressure needs to come now. The push needs to come now. So it's it's all really good points, Jeff. Well, let's go to Catherine next on this. Yeah, well, um, I did have something to say about the Bottleham Hotspur. I just didn't feel like raising my hand. Um, But uh, there needs to be something to bottle. And technically, we were first in the league, but everyone knew who watches Premier League, whether you're a Spurs fan or not, that we were never going to maintain that lead. And so you can't call that bottling because we there there was not that was not sustainable which similar to uh going into this last game against Manchester United the apparently the play on the pitch in the first half wasn't sustainable because we ended up losing but it was a nice change to see because in past games it's just been so slow and lethargic and fairly pedestrian but then in the first half against United, we saw players pushing up higher on the pitch. We saw them actually having good, quick, sharp passes, which is nice to see because you're at home against one of the top teams in the league. But also on the flip side, too, it's frustrating because Spurs tend to play better against a better team. But then the second half rolls around, similar to what Christian and Joe were talking about, and there's a light bulb moment, but the opposite. It, the light just turns off. And as we've all seen, though, or probably everyone who's listening to this has seen from the Amazon documentary that Jose probably just has a really bad halftime talk of going, but, 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 like, that's not going to help people when you have Cavani and Pogba running at you and, and then they end up getting three goals to R1. And so there, there is a disconnect. And I think that um, it's just so disappointing to see that from the first half to the second half that, and I'm not a big statistic person, um, but the XG on the first half was 0.63 to Manchester United's 0.05. And then at the end of the match, it, it was Spurs 1.06 to Manchester United 2.24. So there was some form of a a flipped switch that Manchester United turned on a little bit more and Spurs just lessened the pressure, lessened the, the sharpness of thought, lessened everything that you need to secure a point or three points in a match. Well, well, let's go to Lucas next uh, on this, and then I have a question that I want to ask everybody. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I think I was – I don't have as pessimistic of a view on yesterday. I actually was really proud of how we came out and played. Um, I think we had, like, three corners in the first ten minutes, and that's, like, as much as we had against Newcastle. So it was good to see us actually come out and, and try and take this game to United. If that team had showed up yesterday, that if they had would have showed up in Zagreb, we probably win that game by four. Like, or if that team had showed up against Arsenal, we don't lose that game at the Emirates. The way we played yesterday, I there was a lot that I was excited to see. It's just it comes down to the fact that Man United's better than us. It's simple as they those goals, like that second goal they had 
I mean, there's just nothing you're going to do about that. That was the perfect ball. Pogba's in front, so Dyer has to keep an eye on Pogba. So the ball lifts over his head by an inch, and Serge is tracking back. Serge isn't supposed to be marking one of the best top levels, like center forwards. Like, there's nothing he can do there. It was just a perfect goal. And I think there was, there was moments that our defense just turns off. Because a lot of what United was doing to, like, we had the one goal called off, like their first goal, and then the first one that they had called off, like, those weren't complicated plays. It was a give and go to Cavani who just slipped through him. And it's like, where Dyer thinks Cavani's going, I have no idea. Like, what? This is Cavani. Like, you know what he's doing. This, it, 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 it's just like, that's your one guy you got to be looking at. And Dyer just, Dyer's just not good. And it's, the, that's where my, my frustration with Jose is more of the, what is the deal? Why can't we see Toby? What the hell is he there for if we're going to have to play Russian roulette? Are we going to go lose because Sanchez sucks? Or are we going to go lose because Dyer sucks? Like, it's, I just, I don't understand what's going through Jose's head. And then you get the, it takes us to be losing in the 81st minute before we can see Gareth Bale come on. But we'll see Sissoko come on first. And it's just, it, for me, it's not as much about motivating these players. Because I, I, I don't think these are a good, I don't think they're, Jose and these guys are a good fit for each other. And we've seen that the players have turned their back on Potch. So I don't know who we think is going to come in here and get more out of these players. But I think that there's just a big disconnect, and I would love to know what's going through Jose's head in terms of some of these team selections. Uh, Catherine's got a quick reply before I go to that question. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Lucas, you sound a lot more pessimistic than you say you you are. <laughs> but but also that <laughs> it it's really just, dis- like I, I said before, it's disappointing because I don't think that the defense was that, all that terrible, especially in the first half. In the second half, of course, things could have been changed. But, like, Dyer didn't have a terrible, awful game, nor did Rodon. But it is – and we've talked about this in the past, whether I've been on the podcast or I've just been listening to the podcast. But there are always those moments where even if the players aren't having a terrible game, it's just those individual – they shut off their their brains for a second and that then mistake is always in there it's like it's right but then they get back on track and it's and that's why i say it's so disappointing because they know better <laughs> they're they're 20 30 something year old professional footballers they know better they know how to play and so that's why it's disappointing because they've done this for hundreds of matches and it especially this season it has consistently been happening well, and my biggest problem with what I saw from the players on the field had more to do with uh, not playing to the whistle, uh, throwing your hands up when you're not getting the calls. Uh, and I thought the the ref was fairly consistent with his calling on both sides. I mean, he, he uh, um, so, so to to do that rather than just playing on and fighting through and trying to win the ball back when you've uh, lost it or a call didn't go away, that drove me nuts in this match. Uh, but I I agree that like yeah especially that first half that th- there was some good things to look at but I think probably there is an identity issue and that kind of goes to the 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 next question that we have which comes from uh, our own John um, and John asks us uh, I have a question for tonight uh, Alster Gold uh, a journalist who follows Spurs today said uh, the current Spurs side has no identity that's his quote. Um, uh, how do you feel about this comment? Um, uh, so uh, who wants to tackle that one first? How about Joe? 
I think I think there's something in this. Um, you look at Spurs teams in the past, even when we've not been great at times, but I always remember, like, even in the 90s when we were terrible, we did have an identity as, like, an attacking team that, were, you know, we wouldn't win that often, but it was it was good fun. It was like a roller coaster. Uh, Harry Redknapp, similar. You know, we did well under Redknapp. I think Martin Yoll, he had an identity brought through a lot of young players, English players especially. And at those times, it felt, and obviously the obvious one, Pochettino, because they were all like projects. What Yoll was trying to build was a project. You could see what he was doing. He was getting young English players and, you know, Defoe, Carrick, all those players. You could see what he was trying to do. Pochettino, you could also see that. I, I don't see what the, I don't see what we're our end game is with this team. I don't get it. Like kind of Christian said it earlier, like we're seeing the repeat performances um, over and over again, this strategy of dropping deep, scoring a goal and trying to hold on to a lead. And I know that Lucas makes a valid point saying, well, it's not Jose saying it, it's the players' reaction and their instinct or whatever. But when we scored, we'd had something like 58% of the possession on uh, Sunday. Then when they scored, it dropped to like 28%, some ridiculous drop-off between when United scored. So it's got to be something there, right? There's, that's not an, a statistical anomaly. That's a strategy. That's some kind of a, a, a strategy. So my long-winded answer to this question is, our identity at the moment is just like a boring team, like a team that kind of hopes they score a goal through a bit of magic through Harry Kane and somehow, despite all evidence, can hold on to a lead, which we can't do, but we still try it anyway. And I don't see a long-term identity in this team. So I, I think it's a valid um, criticism to make. Let's go to Christian next. Yeah, I, I th- unfortunately, I think we do have an identity, and it's shit. That's the problem. Um, it, it's it's under Mourinho, and if Mourinho wasn't here, we wouldn't have an identity. So it, it, this is going to be remembered as, in my opinion, right now, the Mourinho days. But they're gonna, it's not going to be a good identity to remember. It's going to be like, oh, that was fucking Via Boas or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's a bad slot in the Spurs timeline when we thought that this was going to be the golden age. You know, new stadium. You know, one of the best managers ever in any sport. And now it's like this is just slump after slump. It's repeating the same old shit. It's true insanity. So it's like we do have an identity. It's just not the one we wanted, especially the one we thought we would get under such a high-profile manager and with everything that's going around with the club. So that's I think that's even worse than just not having an identity. Uh, let's go to Lucas next. Um, yeah, I think I think the lack of identity is so it's so obvious when you watch these players play together. I think that these players don't know what they're supposed to like. They don't seem like they know what each other is going to be doing. When you watch some teams play like City or Liverpool, how these guys are bombing forward, they get the ball. They know exactly what the next move is to like. It's our guys get it. And how many times yesterday did Son like get into the box like on a good run and then. He tried to take somebody on, but the defenseman was playing well in front of him. Running, so he just kind of shifted down further, further, didn't see anything there, and then took it back out. And all of a sudden, we have the ball at the halfway line again, and we're recycling it back to Hugo. Like, what the hell is that? We did it like four or five times. And it's like, if we have like a one-way, it's like a one-track thinking. It's like, 
oh, this didn't work. Shit, back to the top. There's no creativity with these guys, so I don't think they know what their identity is supposed to be. Um, even, like, that period there that we had um, right before Christmas when we were still top of the league with a couple of weeks to go before Christmas, and we had beaten Arsenal. We had that week where we beat City, beat Arsenal, played uh, nil-nil draw against Chelsea. That week, we were playing that same style. We were, or we were playing that style of we're going to sit back, defend, and we're going to hit you on the break. Was it that, like, whether that's people's favorite style of playing or not, that's still a style. Like Our players knew what their roles were. They knew what their job was, and it was working. And then it's like after that, we just kind of – we had that Palace game where we didn't know what we were supposed to do, and it looked like a weird melee of should we be attacking or should we be defending – so these these players, it, it looks like they're just not capable of switching. Like they, they, it seems like they have to be. They have like one track minds, and it has to be black and white for them. There's just no fluidity to them. But I would still love to see us have some kind of identity. Like I said, even in that time when we were just hitting people on the break, they still people knew what their roles were, and it's just we missed that. Yeah. Well, let's go to Catherine next. I don't know if it's so much an identity. Uh, comment but well yes we'll go with it but um there was a uh, an article on the athletic that premier league fans were surveyed and they uh gave back the results and one of the questions was do you think that your team team plays entertaining football which that kind of like what christian was saying where there was uh, an identity under Pochettino. There was an identity under AVB. There was an identity under Martignol. And with, and you could say that sometimes they could be entertaining, other times not. But with this uh, survey, uh, Spurs fans put Tottenham at 49.43 out of 100. And it's fourth from the bottom with West Brom, Crystal Palace, and Newcastle below Spurs. And the identity of Pochettino, I, I was fine when we lost because it, we at least played to the a, a dare as facere, where we played to dare to go all out. Like, I don't, I almost didn't mind that we lost the, the Leicester City season because we played well and entertaining and we had an identity. And I know this is more from the fans' point of view rather than the how we think the, that the players are uh, playing or thinking that they have an identity. But with Jose, it, that is a good question because it's his identity. The Spurs' identity is that we have Jose Mourinho as a manager and we should be happy with that. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and like, uh, we have another question from Tommy and I, uh, we, we've kind of talked about Rodon. We talked about that. He wasn't, um, paired with Toby. Um, and Tom, Tommy asks us the question. Uh, I think Rodon has played well. But any center back pair with him recently has looked like garbage. Uh, Michael Dawson brought up a point saying an experienced player needs to play with him to adapt. Uh, genius or common sense, Tommy asks. Uh, please discuss. R- uh, Rodon is uh, likely the future. Um, uh, Joe, looks like your hand's up. 
See, I'd slightly take issue with Tommy's um, analysis there because I actually thought Toby and Rodan was working really well. They played together. Um, bear in mind that Rodan's been thrown into some pretty difficult games. He played at City away, he played at Chelsea away, he played at home to Liverpool. And I think, to Tommy's point that I certainly agree with, uh, having an experienced player next to him um, is the best way to develop a young player. You know, you think when Ledley King was coming through, he had that season when he was next to uh, Nabet, who we got at like 35 years old, but it was brilliant for one season. Then his legs went. And I, I think it made make complete sense to have just gone with that as the main uh, centre-back partnership this season, Alderweire, Eldon, Rodon. I think they've looked really good together. It's not a lot of pace there, but they're, you know, they, compared to the options we have, Sanchez, who is just a, a, a very poor defender in every way like that you could fit. And Tanganga, who seems to be kind of pushed as a fullback these days, more than a centre-back. Um, and obviously Dyer, we've talked about. I think Dyer's had not a terrible season. He's had a few decent games, but he's always got an error in him, as we've, as we've said. So um, the unfortunate thing with Rodon is he's cup-tied for the League Cup final. So I don't know what we're going <laughs> to... I mean, it's going to have to be, hopefully, Toby's going to play that. But if he is, he's not played for a month or something. So, uh, but long answer to the question, complete mess in terms of continuity at the back. I actually read somewhere today, we've had like 32 combinations of, of back fours over the season. It's insanity. Look at the teams that do win league and look at, you can pick the back four. You know what it's going to be. There might be a guy's injured for a few weeks, right? So then there's a replacement. But really, they have a first choice back four. We've nowhere, nothing even coming close to a first choice back four. It's been a total mess. Other thoughts on Tommy's uh, question? Yeah, I mean, I've got nothing to say other than reiterate what Joe just said. This revolving. Uh, back four business is out of control. It's one of the most frustrating things I've ever watched as a Spurs fan besides Gomez and goal. Um, it's it's just been absolutely disgusting. Um, I, and, and again, to reiterate what Joe just said, if you take any incredible um, uh, legacy squad, their back four is just, it's just household names. Uh, it's... I just think it's absolutely ridiculous that this this is my biggest issue with Mourinho by far. I don't know what's going on in the dressing room. I can't speak to that. Obviously, something. But uh, anything else you say about him? Why the fuck someone with such a pedigree of incredible defensive play and strategy is he revolving them in and out like like the way that he's doing? It, it's it's so frustrating. It's so upsetting. Uh, it's so uneasy to watch a game. Especially when you go up and you think, okay, now all we have to do is defend. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit. And this is a Mourinho squad. This is what they were supposed to be. This is what he was supposed to do for us. You know? And so it's like eh, there's – it's it's not just the um, – uh, it's not just, you know, road on it. Yes, of course, it helps to have um, an experienced center back. Like, you know, if everyone could play next to a John Terry or, you know, uh, someone who is who is a legit, incredible unit, you know, back there, that's going to be huge. Um, but uh, the big issue is that's never going to happen with this Spurs team because they're rotating the back four like it's going around like a fucking carousel at the mall. I mean, it's just ridiculous. 
So it's uh, that is by far the big issue overarching here. But Rodon, solid. I can't wait to see him come through. You know, uh, more so than the defense in this case, like I was more frustrated with the fact that we had um, we'd gotten under their skin. You know, United, uh, like they, we had drawn like what what was about like eight yellow cards that they had. <laughs> it, it felt like it, it probably was six or seven. But uh, um, like, why are we just not running at all those players yeah. and forcing them to make a, a, a tackle? Like I, McTominay I, got booked after like seven minutes or something and we didn't even try and get him a second yellow. You know, to be fair, he had a, he probably did have his second yellow card on the, um, um, the, 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 eye, the face scratch, but, um, uh, but it wasn't called, uh, that way, which it, it doesn't seem fair when you look at it that, um, uh, who was it? Lamella just a few weeks ago when he got his, uh, second yellow, uh, was, was a very similar situation, but, uh, Lucas, uh, no, it's it's a it's a valid point. Yeah, the second yellow that could have been there was uh, that had me confused because I thought the same thing. I'm like, Lamella just got sent off against Arsenal for that. But um, it's again, it's that lack of killer instinct where you look at some teams like how they are just able to target your man with the yellow or target a weakness. Um, don't mean to keep beating a dead horse here, but like when you watched Newcastle play us last week against. Or uh, like they were just targeting Sanchez. Like they knew who the weak spot was. Like that's what we should be doing when guys are on yellows. It's it, it goes back to our inability to run at people and take people on. Um, like I I mentioned the Sun example when he had he would be one on one down the like down the end working the ball towards in their box and then okay it wasn't there so then he would recycle it back up top instead of running at someone and seeing what can happen. Uh, maybe they get a yellow. Maybe the ball gets deflected in the box and someone's standing there like. That's all stuff that all these other teams that score these kinds of goals and these teams that have killer instinct, it's all stuff they do. And we seem to be like, if it isn't the perfect magical like set of events that leads to a goal, it has to be the most perfectly fluid, beautiful, aesthetically pleasing way to get a goal. Otherwise, we just aren't going to try it. Like We can't just run at somebody and get a weird deflection that goes across the crease for a tap-in. It has to be like our goal where it's worked beautifully, 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 bam, Lucas to Sun goal it's you look at how some of these teams get them from just just taking the ball to the end line taking it at someone and it's our lack of creativity that we these players just don't seem to have that a killer uh, killer instinct and i think the perfect example is like you said just going at somebody with a yellow force them mm-hmm. force them to make a tough decision and tough to defend because they're going to be unless they're peter crouch in madrid they're going to be pretty smart if they're on a yellow they can't just do whatever they want and, and I, I think that goal, <laughs> that goal was so incredibly beautiful and perfectly worked. And Sun finished his dinner so well. And it was just, I, I loved seeing that. But Lucas, you're totally right. When the fuck did Spurs become the team that had to pass the ball six times perfectly in the box? And it was back in like Wanga Arsenal days when they were trying to do that constantly and failing and not winning cups. And they used to rip on them because I'd be like, We'll just, you know, run down as hard as we can, play hard. And, you know, Kane would finish his dinner or Bale would, you know, have a super shot. We would just be throwing the kitchen sink at the box. But but now you're right. It's like almost like because we have some of this incredible talent up front, we need to overwork everything. Like that's that's not that's a Spurs identity. I miss to bring it back to that. I mean, like 
I, I love that identity. Look at the identity that Lester has. They're workhorses, right? They go hard on everything. They're not trying to overwork. They're just playing their game as a unit. And it's it's they've been doing it for a long time, and it's one of the championship. And really just, you know, the praise that they deserve. I, I love watching them. They are an entertaining football team to watch. I watch Lester play all the time at the moment. So I look at West Ham, mate. West Ham are a great West, example this I, year. I think... I think West Ham are the perfect example to give when, when not trying to change the subject too much here, but when we talk about Mourinho saying the players aren't good enough and, and all that stuff, which I've, I agree to a point, right? Then they're not, a lot of the players aren't good enough. But are you telling me they're not as good as Craig Dawson playing for West Ham every week? You, you know, Mark Noble, people like that. Of course they are. But so that's another galvanizing thing with ident like West Ham play like Tottenham are supposed to play. They're such an attacking team. The games are always like free two, free three, like roller coaster games. That's what Spurs that's our identity historically. You know, we're not a team who wins every game five nil, but we're a team who's exciting who and new as probably all of you have had this, like neutrals will come up to you and be like, oh Spurs, yeah, you know, I like watching Spurs, you know, it's always good games. That's always been something I've I've quite liked sporting Spurs, is they've appealed to the neutral uh, in some way. But you the current team is the total antithesis of that. There's no I, I even as fans, the five of us here probably struggling watching the games this season. So it's it's just a bit of a painful time, you know? Yeah quick response from Lucas and then we're gonna go to MVP. Uh, yeah, so like I, I just wanted to touch because I was actually when Christian was talking, I wanted to drop something about West Ham too. Is when you watch how many goals did they score from getting fouls in that final third and just whipping the ball into the box? That's like a third of their goals. That's how they get them. And we get the ball in those situations, and it has to be like Kane or somebody trying the perfect set piece that always ends up ten rows up, or it has to be oh we just recycle it around and it like like play it like we would a short corner or something. Like get your guys like get your Harry Canes and your types like in the box and whip it in and see what happens. That's, that's how so many like West Brown that one year that basically stayed up because of corners. <laughs> like that's just, that was their thing. And so it's like when we show like our inability to actually take those chances and you're seeing some team like West Ham that doesn't have nearly the caliber of guys on the other end of these balls and they're putting all these goals in and they're going into top four and they're looking at champions league. And I'm like, where is this attacking instinct from us that when you think like, Hey, Hey, we got a fall in their half. The, those guys should be licking their chops saying, wow, get, get me a ball in the box and see what I can do with it. And we just don't seem to have it. Okay, well, let's go to MVP LVP because uh, I think it's probably a good time to shift the conversation. And we'll start with Catherine first. MVP. Why? <laughs> Why just, just, did just you MVP. do this to me? <laughs> um, I thought about this before coming out to the podcast, and I – really did put in my notes. I didn't have anybody for MVP or LVP because I couldn't think any of anybody who was most or least valuable because they were all just so average that nobody stuck out to me. But um, I don't know. Maybe if other people want to say it, I'll just jump on their on the bandwagon of their MVP. Okay, uh, Lucas, uh, I think you had your hand up next. Yeah, um, I think my LVP was, or excuse me, my MVP was Lucas Mora. Um, I think Lucas was a workhorse yesterday and I think we saw one of the main reasons that Jose really loves him is when you saw somebody else go down, like Regulon did it a couple times where he would get what he thought was fouled and like Regulon would go down, look like he got fouled, 
didn't get the call and he kind of sat there for a few seconds and then got loafed back up to his feet and stuff like that. Lucas Moore was getting fouled, wasn't getting the call. Within 10 seconds, he's just won us the ball back because he's like the energizer bunny and he's back up going after it. Um, I thought like the way he created for us, the way he worked, um, I thought he was great. And I was bummed to see him get taken off. Um, my LVP, are we doing both or are we just going around first with MVP? Let's just go around first with MVP. So okay, Chris, yeah, you know, Lucas you're, was mine. Uh, so, Christian, your uh, MVP? Uh, and Dembele, um, a challenge in the middle of the field that was absolutely spectacular in the first half. Absolute stand-up, down on the ground, spun around him, took the ball clean off him. Um, and uh, and I just think he's been doing a bunch of that lately, and I'm, I'm really happy with him. One of the, um, I think, best highlights of the season. I think Ndombele has been has been solid and, and him and Hoiberg is, is uh, something that I've, I've been enjoying this season. So, um, you know, and if not him, Sonny for finishing his dinner so well, but uh, end of belly for me, for sure. Okay. Uh, Joe. Um, I'm going to say Hoiberg. I thought he played I, just kind of consistent with how he's been all season, really battling. Um, I, I totally relate to what Catherine's saying here in terms of I found it incredibly difficult, to be honest. If, I, if I'm if i being objective and I'm picking the best players, the first seven of them, at least, are Man United players. <laughs> you know, if we've been honest, I mean... Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, Hoybier was was our best player. I, I, think, I think I have to go with, um, with Lucas and say Lucas as well. Um, I, um, I do think like uh, that he created that goal. It was completely unselfish too. like, it was his aggressiveness that, that, that helped get us into that position to begin with. Um, and the, the, the fact that he was willing to lay it off with the better opportunity for son, I thought that was, uh, um, that was the better play than, than son just putting it away. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had to go with, with, with Lucas there. Uh, Catherine, did you have anybody that you want to add at this point? Uh, I, I still don't think that I do. I'm just so apathetic towards this game because, I, like I said, I don't think that... I understand what everyone's saying about Lucas or Ndombele or Hoiberg, but there I saw so much... I don't want to say wrong, but there were so many errors, too, within the defense and midfield and how they should be cohesive. And so I don't think that... I would pick anybody from defense or, or midfield, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would say Sun because he scored, but yeah, like I said, I am very apathetic towards this game, so probably well, nobody. It, <laughs> uh, on that note, do you have an LVP then? No, again, because nobody really stuck out to me as as being the least valuable player. And and I know we went over this a few times ago when I was on the podcast that somebody has to be least valuable out of everyone else. But I honestly don't think okay. that there was anybody. Well, let's if go. nobody's if nobody's MVP, <laughs> then everyone's LVP. So. <laughs> uh, Lu- uh, Lucas, uh, 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 let's go to you next for LVP. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, sorry, the um, for me it was uh, Lacelso. Um, I've just I, he was so useless yesterday, and he's it just is so disappointing to me because I'm like it's a really a guy we had such high expectations for, and he is yet to prove 
that he's anywhere near worth his salt. And it's it sucks watching like how it was supposed to be him or Fernandez that we were getting that summer, and we're watching him show up and lay an absolute egg. And Fernandez is out there making runs, blasting balls off woodwork, stuff like that. It just we clearly got the wrong player in that deal. Um, but yeah, Lacelso has just. I mean, he brought absolutely nothing. It's to the point where if you told me Winks is going to play or Lacelso is going to play, I'd tell you flip a coin. Like I don't care. Like, and that's a, one of the more aggressive things I could say about somebody is I would compare him to Harry Winks. So I just I've been so disappointed in Lacelso, and he needs to either step up or put up or shut up because he's been driving me nuts. Okay, uh, Christian. Yeah, Lacelso was a disappointment, and I—you I, saw in the chat—I was really hopeful for him to be um, a standout performance, but uh, he was not good. But still, Serge Aurier gets it because he's dog shit. He—he uh, he didn't have a very good uh, match, and he certainly led to the, some of the gold opportunities. So I can understand. Yeah, Aurier is my 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 uh, definite LVP, but. But Lacelso was a big disappointment, and I had really high hopes. So, okay, uh, Joe, Serge Aurier for Cavani's goal is that he's literally the wrong side. It's like you, the first thing you learn. Like my free Christian has got a three year old as well. Three year olds learn this when they're learning to kick a ball is when you defend him, be goal side. It's like the most basic thing. It's the football one on one, and if you look at that. Um, I shared it on the group chat today. The picture, he's the wrong side of his man. It's absolute criminal. Having said that, um, I'm inclined to agree with Lucas and uh, Christian and say Lacelso, who I read today has only ever completed eight 90 minutes for us. 90 minute full game eight times, which is in, I'd find incredible. You know, we paid f- like 50 odd million for this guy. Um, and he's kind of gets away with it because he's injured a lot and then he plays and then he, you know, we kind of think we miss him when he's injured because we're so bad when he's out, but then we're just as bad when he's playing. Um, I think he's kind of got away with really a lot of criticism. So, um, yeah, he, he was quite poor, but, um, I kind of like Catherine saying there's, it's interchangeable. Like, it seems like whatever lineup we go with. It doesn't make it like we're beating up on Ben Davis. We're beating up on Winks. We're beating up on Sissoko. When they're not playing, we're just as bad. So <laughs> the team is the LVP uh, at the moment, I think. Yeah, um, I think you guys are right. It's either REA or Lacelso. But I like I also thought that Dyer was poor. Like I thought he played played out all right at times. But then um, he he seems confused on his positioning at times. He he, he never seems to want to take away space when there's a really talented player. Um, and then, like, he, sometimes he'll make a really impressive tackle that he wouldn't have to make if he was just in the right position to begin with. So that's uh, so, so I almost picked Dyer for those reasons, but I think that's a little harsh on him here. Um, I'll go with REA just uh, uh, to, to, to make it more of a sweep, but, uh, but I, th- I think there's a case to be made for La Celso as well. Um, Catherine, do you want to add anybody at this point, or you're kind of uh, uh... no, I don't think so. I I don't know. I keep looking through a, a Twitter thread that Barty uh, from Fighting Cock and Extra Inch wrote, and it's really interesting because he put up a ton of screenshot, screenshots of why our team was a mess, and 
if you look through that, you'll see why I'm just so like I don't know who to pick for any of them. I'm sorry, did you say this was this Barty? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it's Barty TFCN on Twitter, and the screenshots show why, like I said, why I'm so just kind of eh about it because everybody that you guys talked about as being your MVP, there's something wrong that they did. And so that's why I'm like, well, there's yeah. really no MVP or LVP for me. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, so no, I have nobody to add. Well, excellent conversation, everybody. Um, I do, do think this is a good place to go to half. In the second half, we are going to uh, preview the Everton game. We've got one more question that I want to answer when we come back from break. But first, we have two halftime segments. Uh, first, we're going to go to Luke's Locks. All right, so I'm going to start. I'm going to stop giving away Spurs winning predictions because we don't know when the next time that's going to happen is. But we could still make some money off us with our bad defense and our ability to score an odd goal by taking the over. Overs two and a half in Spurs Everton away this Friday at Goodison. So jump on the over because Davidson could start, Dyer could start. There's goals to be had, so take the over. Second one, unfortunately, is Arsenal minus half a goal at home against Fulham. I know it feels gross putting money on Arsenal to win, but if you're going to have to watch Arsenal win, it's better to get financially compensated for it. Third one, another disgusting one, but West Ham is a half goal away against Newcastle. Newcastle can't score. West Ham seems like they're on fire at the moment, so taking West Ham minus the half goal is the no-brainer there. And then we're going to take another favorite in Liverpool, minus a half goal away at Leeds. Uh, Liverpool has been much better on the road than they have been at home, so Leeds is going to be open. Liverpool, minus the half goal. There's your four. There's your free money. Let's go get rich, kids. Well, thanks for that, love Lucas. That, love that Liverpool pick, Lucas, because I think Liverpool smell blood right now and, and uh, definitely going to be, uh, be going for that. So I love that pick. I'm getting oh, yeah. on it, brother. Well, well, th- thanks for that, Lucas. Uh, our next halftime segment is uh, Catherine with uh, Catherine Spurs Woman Update. Well, thanks, Lucas, for setting the stage for me and for Anthony for introducing. But as you all know, well, hopefully you will, I'm Catherine and I'm back with the Spurs Woman segment. I take you through this halftime segment with some poor results, including a 1-1 draw against 11th place Bristol City on the 21st of March followed by a frustrating 3-0 loss against third-place Arsenal at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on the 27th of March. And the most recent match on the 4th of April was a 3-0 defeat to second-place Manchester City. Now, despite losing to Arsenal and Manchester City, there are some glimpses of what manager Rian Skinner is implementing into the team, a team that connects, passes well, and flows, is tenacious until the final whistle, and one that acknowledges the moments when the team is in possession and needs to utilize the ball during those times. So amidst an odd season for football in general, let alone for women's football, there are some bright spots for the team. Now, before I get to future fixtures, I wanted to highlight the growing number of internationals, something that I have commented on over the past few years regarding Spurs women, and the fact that it'll only help the squad with competitiveness and talent if there are players on the team who play for their international sides. So this international break, there were seven players playing for their country's sides. Esther Morgan, Josie Green, and Anna Philby for Wales. Shalina Zodorsky for Canada. Alana Kennedy for Australia. So Hyun Cho for South Korea. And Aurora Michelson for Norway. 
And an exciting piece of news is that 18-year-old Esther Morgan grabbed her first senior cap for Wales, coming on as a substitute against Canada during their match this international break. And now back to the matches. Next up for Spurs women is an FA Cup match against Reading on Sunday, April 18th. Then focusing back on the league on Sunday, the 25th of April, Spurs women play away at Manchester United. Uh, The Spurs versus United match will be played at 12.30 p.m. local time, so 6.30 a.m. Central in the U.S., and it'll be played for those of you listening in from the U.K. on BBC Red Button. The next match after Reading and and Manchester United games is one in the league at home against Chelsea. So it's looking like a fairly tough run-in ahead of the last Women's Super League game of the season on May 9th away at Birmingham City. And I tried to keep it all short and sweet for you, despite throwing a lot of dates and info at you. So that's all for me this time. But as a reminder, feel free to message me on Twitter at Catherine Rupp for Spurs men or Spurs women questions or comments or just to say hi and chat. And now back to the pod. Well, thanks so much, Catherine. Very, I, I, I always love when you're on because there's a lot of information that I just probably won't hear if if I don't hear from you. So I, I definitely appreciate you keeping us in the, the loop on everything that's going on there. Yeah, uh, I wish we were better. I wish we were better, Catherine. I didn't know the women's team was getting worse results than the men's team. Yeah, we're Spurs women are in eighth place right now. So uh, they out, could of get 12, relegated, out of 12 right? teams, no. It, uh, we're, I think we have 18 points at the current moment. So yeah. It's, and they, they they should be safe because like I think it's like West Ham and Bristol. There's a couple teams that are just yeah. way shittier yeah. than we are, so that's nice. Yeah, but yeah. there is like a massive. There's a massive top heavy. Like there's like I think yeah. Chelsea women are up top with like 50 points, and we have like Chelsea, 17. Yeah, aren't, aren't, aren't Chelsea women? And... Aren't Chelsea women incredible this yeah. year? They're going to win the Champions League, aren't they, Catherine? They're, they're, they beat well, Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg and... have been like the top team, uh, along with um, is it Leon, who have always had a really good women's team. Yeah, Olympic Leon. That's where Alex Morgan played a few years ago um, yeah. before she came to Spurs women. But uh, <laughs> for those of you listening in Chicago, though, uh, Chelsea has Sam Kerr, who played for the Red Stars, yeah. and she's electric on the, on the pitch. Yeah. So she's really great when she's on. Um, yeah. The, the WSL table is really top heavy, like what you guys are saying. And, and I, I hope, and I have high hopes that even with just a little bit of money or maybe like one more player who mm. is of a good quality will kind of turn the tables and we can push on towards more of like a Reading or an Everton. Yeah. So, well, well, thanks once again. Um, so rolling to the second half, what I want to do is I, I want to tackle the last question that we have. And this one comes from a friend of the podcast, uh, uh, Shubes. So at The Real Shubin, he asks us, uh, lowest point for you as Yiddos. For me, 2003, 4-0 loss at home to uh, Wednesday, maybe, maybe last day of the season. Uh, can't remember, but think the players did a, a lap of honor. Um, and then he also mentions 2014 beating Saints 3-2 at home under the, the, the Pratt and the, the Gillet. Just uh, st- stopped going to the game rest of the season. Uh, but uh, I think he wants us to, to give our worst uh, matches. Uh, I am going to let you guys tackle this because you guys have been following a lot, a lot longer than me, so I think you'll have better answers than I will. Uh, so let's uh, let's start with uh, Joe first. 
I I actually know which game Shubes means there. It was he got it wrong though. It wasn't Sheffield Wednesday. It was Blackburn. They beat us four nil on the last game, and we lost five one to Middlesbrough the week before that. So you think things are bad now? They've they've been worse, believe it or not. Um, this is a tough one. The worst moment. I mean, I've got to say, um, for me personally, my childhood was ruined by supporting Tottenham. Absolutely ruined. I'm a northerner, as you know and can tell. And going to school with all those Man United and Liverpool fans after we got smashed every most weekends in the 90s was, uh, was you know, character building, let's put it that way. I remember we lost 6-1 to Bolton. That was a real low. I had a mate who was a Bolton fan and I spent the whole next day at school avoiding him, like trying to, you know, get out of his way so he didn't, <laughs> he didn't find me. Um, I've got to, to answer this question. Like, um, for me, the thing that always hits hardest as a Spurs fan, even more than those results, and they, they were always worse as a kid because, like, you're not psychologically prepared for it. Now, as an adult, your brain can kind of contextualize it a bit. As a kid, it's just brutal. But what's always hit me a bit more than bad results is when players leave. And not even just as a kid, like Sheringham leaving was horrible and all that. But thinking of like Berbatov and uh, even like when Keane left and um, Bale been the most recent example probably of this. But I feel like, you know, bad results are just like you kind of take them for what they are. It's just football. But when a player leaves, it's like that's kind of a more telling indication that your club's not where it should be right I don't know what how like it's that's what's always got me so to answer the question I'd say like maybe when Bale left or when Berbatov left maybe Sheringham though that's what's really got me down as a as a fan okay uh I think let's go to Christian next oh man there's been some low points I, I I'm, I'm I've been a Spurs fan since 92 or 93 and uh, when I first moved to England and um and it was highlights all at first. Uh, it was it was great, you know, just finding out about football and everything. But I, I soon came to realize where I was being a Spurs fan when you know the Man United age came to to grips and everything, and the, and the Prem started to get in full um, uh, full flex. But there was a couple of highlights that were just so defeating to me. Having Gomez knock out Chorluca um, was just such a low point. I was like. Did our, did our keeper just knock out one of our own players? I mean, he was so terrible, and that whole that whole like three years around that uh, era was just really down. But this year, losing to West Ham when we were three three nil up, honestly, was one of the lowest points of my Spurs being a Spurs supporter. I mean, I think I texted Lucas crying. I was like. <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know what what just happened because we were texting each other like we're going to win the league, like the, and and I truly believe when we um, when uh, West Ham came back and drew that game, that was a legit turning point in our season. Uh, honestly, like that was a legit low point for me. Also, not a low point in the moment, but looking back at the year that Leicester City won the Prem, that was our year to win the Premiership. And looking back at that, that's a fucking low point for me because we should have won the Prem. And and that was our chance. And West Ham fucked us again that year, if you don't remember. So um, there's, you know, there's been quite a few. But there's also been some great highlights. That Bentley halfway goal where I was actually there against Arsenal in the 4-4 draw. It was one of the best moments of my life. Um, 
Did you leave early? No. No, oh, no, good no. man. There weren't many Spurs fans left when Lennon scored, so you must have been no, one of the, yeah. the few. No, it was, it was incredible, to be honest. And, and, and that, so there's been a bunch of highlights. And my first ever Spurs game was uh, a Spurs-Arsenal-London uh, derby, um, uh, a Ginola and Sheringham. It was, it was fantastic. So there's been a bunch of high points, but the question was low points. And, and I, don't, I don't know if there's ever been such a like smack-in-the-face low point as um, as when uh, we got scored on that third goal in West Ham this year. I mean, I, I just remember feeling so incredibly upset, and I really do believe it was a turning point in our season. So. Uh, Lucas? Yeah, I think uh, Christian's point about the West Ham one was funny, because like you said, I mean, we were texting, I was like, I was like we're not just going to win the Premier League, we're going to win everyone's league. The Bundesliga, like they're going to give us every trophy imaginable. We're that good, and then I've got those texts from you. Sure enough, it's now. Yeah, Ninety minutes later, I'm like, "Fuck, crap, that was something else." But mine actually was. Uh, it's funny because you mentioned the Leicester season too, and so mine's a weird one because again, I remember some of the ones Joe's, but Joe was talking about. I just got a couple good chuckles out of those. But mine was actually from the Leicester season too, and it was actually after we knew. We knew we weren't going to win the league. Leicester had won the league already. We had it wrapped up. But there was something else that was there for the taking, and I had waited 20 years for it, and that was to see us finish above Arsenal. And so that Newcastle game for me was an all-time low. Um, There was such an opportunity on the table, and it showed me something about these players, unfortunately, if we get back to that, was Newcastle had nothing to play for. They had been relegated. So they were playing for their fans at St. James on the last day before they went down. That's all they had. Our players, you would think, would say, hey, we're playing for our fans. We can finally finish above Arsenal. We finished third in a two-horse race. So that was that day. All we had to do was just get a point off of Newcastle, a point against a relegated Newcastle. And we got absolutely undressed. And it was one of the most embarrassing moments for me. And it showed me that the players really didn't care whether or not we finished above Arsenal or not, which that that I think that was – that was the hardest part was dealing with that reality that was like, you know what? These players probably don't really care. So, uh, yeah, they were mentally checked out and we took the brunt of it. And that, that was probably the lowest. Yeah. Okay. Well, all good answers. Catherine, do you, do you have one you want to add? Um, not specifically one, uh, just because I, well, similar to you, Anthony, I am a newer fan but I knew of Spurs in 97 98 ish but didn't start actually following until 08 09 2010 so like Redknapp era but I think the worst was uh in and I had to look this up but in 2013 when we lost 6-0 to Manchester City and then 5-1 to Manchester City and that was in maybe what seven, eight years after they had gotten taken, taken over, but also they were in the third division 10 years prior. Bought, is that when we bought Scott Parker and Adebayor right after that? Or was that the year before? No, um, the, one, no, I think... the one Catherine means, I remember Catherine, because the reason I, I almost went to that game, my, my wife and I lived in Manchester at the time and we were very close to getting tickets to that game. We lost six nil and Navas scored after about 15 seconds, if you remember. Yeah, we got... We, Liverpool beat us 5-1 about a week after that, and it was the end mm-hmm. of ABB. It was, it was but, like, but it's just so yeah. frustrating because... And so I haven't really... Even though I've been Spurs for, like, 20-ish years, but I haven't really followed them for until, like, 
10 years, 10 ish years. And so it's frustrating because I had a little bit of the red nap era and then in comes AVB and, and Sherwood. And it's like, are you serious <laughs> right now? Because like I said, that's when city was kind of in their hitting their groove and, and it's embarrassing because we should have been way above them, but then they got a ton of oil money and everything like that. But so I don't necessarily like I'm saying have one game, but also like what Lucas was saying that Newcastle five, one was also just a admonishment on like, how can, how can, how can that happen? Um, and so, yeah, I, I just have a lot of, I'm not good with memories of specific football games. And so I have a lot of like just emotions of how I felt at the time in like 2013, 2014, in 2016, and then so on and so forth. So I don't think I just added, I didn't, I don't think I added much, but (laughs) there you go. Well, no, uh, you had a load. back in the '90s, Newcastle shot on us really bad as well with uh, yeah. uh, Shearer and Ferdinand. I think we lost six 0 to them we, back in the '90s as well. We lost, we lost six one and seven one to them. One, yeah, one it was, was right in, the, in a row, wasn't it? It was like yeah, in a row too. I think they were two like years apart. One was in the FA Cup. We drew one all at home and then got smashed six one uh, away. And we lost seven one in the league to them um, once as well. And, that, like, and the other time. goal was Ginola. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was yeah the tune back this year in the SAS. They used to smash us. Yeah, mine was probably also the the Leicester year. I mean, I think the Battle of the Bridge that year was a low point in that like we played, we were the better team. Like we came out there and like we sh- we should have beat Chelsea, but we let them snatch that from us. And some of it because I also. Uh, being part of the fan base and especially the fan base here in Chicago, that was such a low point for us at the pub too. Uh, just things that happened, like almost fights that, that broke out in the the pub after, after that match. Um, but obviously the Newcastle match at the end uh, to, to end out that season. And we couldn't even finish ab- um, above Arsenal that year uh, was equal, equally bad, but, um, um, but you guys all have good, Good ones from the uh, even from my era, which probably goes back to about uh, 2011. I think is probably where I go. But uh, but uh, that battle of the bridge year and that yeah that Newcastle to, to finish that season were all really bad for me. Uh, Lucas, you want a quick point before we preview the yeah? Uh, just I just wanted to say you're, you're bang on, and and one of the things too is that we forget is everyone wants to talk about how special Leicester was that season, and they were to an extent, but. That season where that season where Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, all five of them have an off year at the exact same time. That's one of those years that comes around once in a millennium mm-hmm. and you have to be able to jump on it. And we almost did, but Leicester was quicker to the button. And it's like, that's one of the reasons it's so salty. It's like, I don't know when the next, we all talk about wanting to compete for titles. And it's like, we don't know when the next time city's not going to be the best team in the world is, you know, it's and be, let alone and all just, five of them having an off year at the same time. And a lot of the matches that Lester won were in the 85th, 89th, 92nd minute. And it was one nil off of uh, just a huge ping ball up to Vardy who just smashes it. 
from like yeah, that's, two that's yards. Grafton. That, that is that is <laughs> Grafton. That's, yeah, what, they, that's what Leicester are good at doing. That's amazing. I'd love to be that Grafton team. Like, why not? I really, I, as much as I feel that was our year and I'm gutted about it, like fair play, Leicester. And, and it's been a joy to watch them ever since. Like. But just quickly, on the, I'm surprised you're all saying this because to me, that season, there were no expectations. If you look back at 14-15, that season at the start of the year, Lucas is right. All those teams had a shit season, right? But no one expected us to even finish top six at the time. It was Pochettino going into his second year. The one that really, for me, I think was more of a terrible thing we missed was the year after when we went the whole season unbeaten at home. And Chelsea just broke the record for the most consecutive. If Chelsea didn't have that purple patch that lasted like two and a half months when they didn't lose, we would have won the league easily that year. Chelsea had literally the most wins in a row in the history of the Premier League. That's the only reason we didn't win the league the year after. That one, to me, is much more of a missed uh, opportunity than the year before. Okay, well, let's uh, quick response, to Christian, and then we have to preview this match. I just, I just cannot believe I forgot this low point when fucking Chelsea won the Champions League and oh, knocked yeah. us out of home. Oh, yeah. oh my god! I was watching that with a bunch of friends, oh, and just it stop was talking just, about it right now. Yeah, it was just so. Yeah. I just couldn't and Christian, believe that knocked us out of the spot. I just, oh my god! I remember throwing beers in the back of the courtyard in my mate's house. Double- like, yeah. It was a double day because that weekend, like uh, West Ham won the game at Wembley to get sent back up. So West, yeah. West Ham was coming back up, and we were not going to Champions League all within a weekend, and it was the nightmare of all nightmares. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, rem- I just, you just reminded me of that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, well, excellent conversation, and Tubes. Like your question, like uh, I think we could talk, do a whole podcast talking about just that. Uh, but we do have to move this uh, conversation along because we do still have a match to preview. Um, and that's uh, this Friday. So uh, short turnover. We take on uh, Everton away at 2 p.m. here in Chicago. Uh, currently, Everton sits at eighth place in the league with 48 points. That's 14 wins, six draws, and 10 losses. Earlier today, they drew Brighton away nil-nil. Away, uh, prior to that, they drew Palace. They lost to Man City uh, in the FA Cup. They lost to Burnley prior to that, and they lost to Chelsea. So they are in a bad run of form right now. Um, upcoming, uh, um, uh, th- they have another Friday game. So they've got this weird schedule Monday, Friday, then the next Friday, uh, where they take on uh, Arsenal on April 23rd. Um, uh, their top goal scorer right now is Dominic Calvert-Lewin with 14 uh, James Rodriguez and Richarlson both have six behind him. Uh, uh, Lucas Denay is their top assist man with six. Uh, and Rodriguez and Gilfie Sigurdsson both have four behind him. Top rated player is uh, R- Rodriguez with 7.22. And Calvert-Lewin's behind him with 7.13. Um, the last five times that we have taken on Everton, we'll all remember the 5-4 uh, in February in the FA Cup uh, loss, uh, which was actually a, a pretty good m- match, but unfortunately it knocked us out of the Cup. Uh, prior to that, we lost them to open up the season 1-0 in September. Uh, prior to that, we beat them 1-0 in July 2020 after the restart. And then uh, prior to that, we drew them to the two matches prior to that, 1-1 in November 2019 and 2-2 in 
uh, May 2019. Um, so uh, we haven't been handling Everton well, but they are coming into this match on kind of a low point. They're creeping right behind us in the table. Um, so um, that that obviously has to be a, a concern of ours with this matchup. So where are you guys at? What do you guys think on this one? Uh, who wants to tackle this match first? Uh, Lucas, you, I think your hand hit, hit up first. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because we don't know where they're at, and you just like you just said they're creeping up on us. But are they creeping up, or are we just letting them? Because we're creeping down, so they haven't been playing well lately. Neither have we. Um, I think it, it's going to be kind of where what what are the expectations running out? Are we now thinking because top four now seems like it's kind of off? Are we thinking let's just pack it up, try and win the league cup title, and that'll be that? Or are we thinking we can still fight for a European spot? I think realistically that's kind of off because Liverpool looks like they're in cruise control mode. They've gotten their shit together. Chelsea's going to be, they got their shit. West Ham can't be beat apparently. So I don't know what our expectations are going forward. Um, I know Jose will tell you that it's a one game at a time, that kind of stuff. But neither one of us seem like we really want to go after a European spot. We don't seem to be playing that way and nor do Everton. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being like one of those games like the FA Cup day that you were talking about where both teams just go at it and say whoever scores more wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's something to that, Lucas. Uh, I think, Catherine, you were next in the air, so we'll go to you next. Yeah, um, well, they, similar to Spurs, have an identity problem because they're not consistent ever, kind of like what we were talking about, where they're on a low point right now, but they were on a really high point maybe two months ago, I think. And and then they have people like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who was playing incredibly, and I enjoy watching him too, but then he was out today with an abductor problem, and so who knows, who knows if he's going to be in and playing um, when we play them on Friday. But then also, they... Um, they have a lot of fairly – they don't have a ton of high-profile players. And so kind of like what Lucas is saying, like what are the expectations running out and who who is going to get the, the goals for either team? And and I would hope if uh, Calvert-Lewin is out, then they don't have too many more players who are really high-flying with their goals and assists. But um, – I don't you know. You can put it, Richarlison it, down for one. He'll get at least one against us. That's well, his favorite and thing. Richarlison, and also I was seeing that Josh King was transferred there from Bournemouth in two months ago, and he hasn't scored any, so he probably will as well. Because with Joe Linton against Newcastle and with um, Fred with United, they hadn't scored. Well, Joe Linton has had like four goals in the Premier League and two against Tottenham, and then Fred hadn't scored until 2017. So we're bound to have somebody score who hasn't or never does against Everton when we play them. So um, I don't really know where I was going with this, but they also, I think, to sum up what I was trying to say, they also don't really have much of a cohesive identity as well. And so like what Lucas Lucas was saying, that... It, it'll be a tit-for-tat type of situation that whoever scores, well, the opponent will score then too, and vice versa. And 
I'll I'll get to my uh, prediction later, but it makes sense what I'm saying. Okay, uh, let's <laughs> Joe next. Um, I see this has been a pretty bad quality game, just because like you're all saying Everton are not playing particularly well at the moment. We're certainly not playing particularly well. I think neither team's got a great deal of confidence. We're both kind of pushing on for Europa um, reluctantly, I guess, half-heartedly. I mean, the season's just fizzled out for us completely. Um, The cup final's the only thing, and as unlikely as it is that we'll beat City in the cup final, at least we have something to kind of cling on to. I, I just... I don't know. I'm finding it hard to motivate myself to watch us at the moment. I, I suspect this might be a, uh, just a kind of a, two teams that are kind of underwhelming. <laughs> We're not really selling this one, are we? Sorry. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be two brilliant teams playing. Elect- Brazil 1970 all over again. Uh, no, but I, I can't say I'm too up for this one. I, I mean, I think the schedule benefits us, them having to play two game, two midweek games this week kind of uh, uh, might, well, might be a bit of an advantage. But then they don't have – they have a whole week's rest after us so they could put it all on the field for us. So, so well, Anthony, can I just quickly say on that point, I'm glad you said that. We fought that against United, didn't we? We had, we had, a, re- we had a week's rest against Manchester United. They played on Thursday in the Europa League away in Spain and they looked a much fitter team than we are. I think we're a very unfit team. And actually, it's a common denominator with Mourinho teams. They say that the fitness levels are, are not as high. Um, it's, it's something that when Solskjaer took over at United, it was, it was some, and at Chelsea when Conte took over as well. Um, and uh, so to your point there, I, I have concerns over our actual fitness. And I wouldn't use the fact that Everton are fresh or not fresh as a, as a thing, because I think either way, they'll probably do more running than we will. Okay, uh, Lucas, I think you want to jump in real fast before we go to Christian, right? Yeah, um, I, I think that for me, it, it's, it's going to be about, I, I hope that our players are treating these like auditions. Um, this run out here, we have the cup final. And I mean, that's the crazy part is that's why we brought Jose in. And that's something that we as supporters have been bitching about is not winning cups and not getting trophies. And right now we've said this has been one of the most frustrating years for us and we hate watching us play. It's not exciting and this and that. But yet, we're 90 minutes away from – Jose's 90 minutes away from doing something that no manager here has done in 13 years. So it could still happen for us. So that needs to be – if I'm Jose, I'm treating these like auditions, saying which one of you guys wants to step up and play in our cup final? I mean, and unfortunately, it doesn't look like the players are treating them like auditions. But I think if you, if you look past the cup final too, it's who wants to be here next year? That's what we're going to find out from these remaining games is which players want to be on this team moving forward. And hopefully we'll see something like that on Friday, but it's going to be about whether or not these players want to prove their worth. Like a guy, again, I'll bring back Lucas Mora. Lucas Mora makes mistakes and somehow can't complete a pass that you'd think he'd be able to at this point, but he's proven that he wants to be here and he wants to work for this team which players want to prove that they can work and be part of this team moving forward and be part of our future? That's what these next games are going to be, and I think Friday is a good place to start as any. Okay, well, let's go to Christian. Uh, uh, give give us your thoughts on the game, and then we'll g- let you go right into your prediction after you r- uh, wrap up your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I want to address something that Catherine said because I think Everton do have some really good, solid players. 
Uh, I think they've got a squad, and and I think I wasn't saying that they have bad players. It's just they're very, like, they're not. They're not performing up to their their peak like they should. Yeah, be. their their potential. I agree, I agree yeah. with you with the identity crisis. I think you're totally spot on there. I think they are. They have a lot of talent that just isn't performing the way that they want them to. So. Um, but you know, I look at Josh King, I look at Rick Carlson, Calvert Lewin, and and there's so much talent up front. Uh, there's talent everywhere with that team, and and they do work so much harder than Spurs. That's no doubt. And there's a reason why they're both a point apart. You know, one place. You know, around each other in in the league. So <clears throat> I actually think that we're going to see um, a dragged out, really head to head, good game. Because I think that we're going to see two people at um, the lowest of the lows where they think they should have been. So I, I I expect this to be actually pretty entertaining. Whether it will be entertaining for good or for bad, I don't fucking know. But um, I actually think it's going to be a really, a really fun game to watch. Um, I think that uh, both these teams really have something to prove of where they are at this point of the season and where they thought they were going to be. Uh, especially with how Everton looked really solid a few months ago. And and Spurs looked really solid the first two months of the season. And now they're both like, okay, what have we got to play for, right? Spurs do have the cup final in the back of their head, and it's the fucking league cup. And it isn't the only cup final we wanted, but it's still silverware, right, which we know we need. Everton are thinking, you know, we should get Europa. We deserve Europa. So I think we're going to see a slog here. And um, – and and I'm actually I'm actually more excited for this game than I was for Man U even when we scored at half, uh, before the half. So, uh, so I think um, I think we're going to see a good game. I think we're going to see a draw though. I think we're going to see around a two two or three three draw. I love the over by the way, Lucas. I love that lock. So that's my favorite pick of yours uh, of the week. I do think we'll see goals. Both teams are scoring and um, both teams defensively have got issues. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, two, two, three, I'm going to go, I'm going to go three, three. I do think, I think there's going to be goals. Okay. Uh, do you have goal scorers for that? Oh, you're on mute. I said, I said of course I do, but I wanted to mute myself. Um, I, uh, I, I think, I think we'll see uh, Mora, the workhorse that he is, even though he runs with no purpose sometimes. I think we'll see him get get some goals, uh, and I, I think we'll see uh, we'll see Harry Kane score as well. I would say Kane, Son, and Mora all three score, uh, and uh, uh, Calvert Lewin scoring for Everton without a doubt. Okay, great. Um, so uh, Lucas, uh, let's go to you next for predictions. Yeah, I actually think this one's going to be – I think it's going to be uh, 3-1 to Spurs, and I'd have Lucas, Kane, and Son scoring. Okay, I like that. Uh, Catherine? So, to my point that I was saying earlier, I think it'll be 2-2 with a Kane brace. And kind of uh, alluding to what Christian was saying, that uh, I was kind of talking them down, like what I was – I meant to say more that they they have the players, but it's just Everton does. Everton has the players, but and they play well. Uh, Sigurdsson, who I love when he was with us, and I still love him in general, just because I think he's a good, solid player. He has 85% passing accuracy, 27 interceptions. Ducore has 85% passing accuracy with 1,165 total passes. Um, he's more susceptible to getting yellows. So like there are people on their team 
who are capable and able to make it a game. So that's why I'm saying that it's 2-2, but I think that they do have, like, similar to what I was saying, they do have an identity issue, and so it'll be a little bit of a that type of battle where I don't think either team will kind of know what to do um, until they until the first, like, maybe five, ten minutes, and then they'll get into a groove. But also, I should point out before um, Joe goes that um, that Everton has a, a game in hand as well, and so that's something to watch out for as well. Okay. Um, uh, Joe? I agree. I see a similar game to the what you just uh, kind of predicted, Catherine. I, I was also thinking 2-2. I was thinking, because Son scored on Sunday, Sonny tends to score in these streaks. Like, if he if he scores one, he'll score for five games, then he won't score again for another six games. That's always been his pattern for, for scoring. So I think he's he's good for a goal here, Kane for one. I Yeah, I, I can see it being a very error-prone kind of a, a match. Their defence... Um, I think it's good for a few individual errors. They've got that Yari Mina. He's, I think he's a little bit of a dodgy one. We can get at Michael Keane, not not top notch centre back, and we've got as we've already discussed, pretty bad defensive woes all season long. So it might be one for a, it might be a rare example of a neutral enjoying a Spurs game, and it could be quite entertaining. Um, but yeah, I see two two. Oh, and prediction, shock prediction. We don't go behind. They score first, and we like come back just just to cheat, just to mix it up a little bit, you know. <laughs> well, um, see, I was thinking the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> You're I, probably I, right. <laughs> I, I'm going to say we win three two, uh, but I think uh, we we get two goals. It looks like we we've got pretty good controls and uh, on the match, and then th- they come back uh, for one. They score their second one in like the last ten minutes. Um, I, I think um, my goal score predictions. Are, I think you're right about Sun. Uh, he does do this in groups. I think Sun's going to get one today uh, on Friday. I think Harry will get one because he's always good for one. Um, and I think it will be Bale having to come off the bench and actually pulling something out in the last ten minutes for a change. Like it seems like he doesn't get enough time on the pitch to really uh, to make any magic happen. But I think this is the one where it, it actually happens. We need a, that that goal to, to force ourselves out of the draw situation that we don't want to be in and get the win. And, and Bale actually does it for us. And I hope I'm right. Uh, I, I want to believe that so bad, but I feel like the only game where we've ever grinded out a win like that was Palace early on this year when we grinded out that win. And I just, I don't see us having that like eye of the tiger to do that. Like, it's just really sad. I hope you're right. I hope we can go, you know, into a draw situation in the last 10 minutes, actually go and pull the score out. But I just don't see it, unfortunately, right now. It's it's like we've lost that will. It feels far-fetched to me, too, saying it. But when I listen to myself say it, but I'm going to stick with that prediction and, and hope I'm right because it'll make it a good day out at the pub on Friday. It'll be a good day out regardless, but um, uh-huh. but, but definitely a, a better one if we, we pull off a victory like that. Well, Anthony, it can't be it can't be worse than the one nil from the summer when I think it was like you and I were the only two people that went off to Cahal's other place in Elmwood Park and 
that was the game where Hugo was getting in the fight with Sun or whatever. And oh, that, that, was, that was the one nil. Oh, we did win that game. It was a one nil win, and that was probably the most boring game I think I've ever seen in any football. Like, yeah. Yeah. Joe, you might watch more exciting games with your daughter when she turns four and is playing in those leagues. So, I mean, there might it's be more always entertaining exciting, games mate, than that 1-0 she... we played in the summer. Well, she picks the ball up and runs with it. So that got, that adds an element of uh, of surprise value. Yeah. And maybe that's a tactic we should look into. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up the podcast for for the day? Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up. So thank you so much to uh, Catherine, Joe, Christian, and Lucas for being on today. Uh, Thanks to Tommy for editing and sound, Charlie for the music, Kevin for social media, Lucas for Luke's Locks, Catherine for Spurs Women Update, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. Even though we're not recording there, it's great to be back there watching matches again. Um, Find our merchandise at Big Head Media. Um, Find us both now on Spotify and uh, Stitcher. Um, thanks Tommy uh, hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast or give us a review wherever you get your podcasts check us out on Twitter and Facebook at 4 Star Spurs and our website at 4starspurs.com come on you Spurs come on you Spurs